As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Yeah, so if you pick up the mic and then we can just rock and roll. Ready. So, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Well, let's talk about death. Sure. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley. Merry Christmas. Almost. This week, as promised, we have got two shows for you to help see you through these wintry weeks ahead. And first up on this episode, we have Tom Harries, who is an Englishman in San Francisco that I came across about, gosh, about a year ago. When he told me what he was doing, I was totally intrigued, but he was also very busy. I finally nabbed him to sit down and talk about what he is up to in the wild world of cremations. Yes, Harry's has set up an app-based cremation service called Tulip. And I'll just say that after you listen to this, you'll have a whole bunch of little factoids about the death industry. Obviously, always good dinner conversation. And if you have had the misfortune of having had to deal with this industry firsthand, I imagine a lot of what he is saying will, will resonate. And of course, beyond all of that, you'll probably come away with some nuggets about what to do and not do. If you're trying to start a business or really do anything in life that involves people. So it's a bit left field, but it's a lot of fun. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. Also, just two things to know about Tom before we get started. One, he's just 26 years old, so annoyingly young. And he is, like me, ginger. So obviously points in the win column there. But I digress. I now give you Tom Harries of Tulip to talk about the highs and lows of barging into the fusty old funeral business. Enjoy. Tulip is super interesting to me because it's one of these things that, you know, most people don't think about until obviously they have to. That is uh, death and what you do with a loved one and stuff. But let's just start from the beginning. How did you, what is Tulip and how did you end up getting there? Yeah, I mean, you asked that as if, death's not an interesting and uh, obvious industry to go into. But yeah. um, I fell into it, as I think most people who end up in the industry do, unless you've come from a sort of family business background. It's normally inspired by personal experience. 
So for me, that was a death of a, a grandparent and then watching the process that we went through. And going through this process and seeing what an antiquated industry it really is, but also how big and impactful it can be if done well. So I had a previous company in the UK. It was effectively online obituaries of, 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 of sorts. Um, actually, it was, it was more of a Facebook event of sorts. It was logistical information. It was sharing obituaries, pictures. What was, what was it trying to fix? Yeah. So it, it came back to this initial experience of mine in, in the industry. So grandparent died. A funeral director in the UK did a great job at arranging all the funeral events. But then watching my parents and family try and inform other relatives of what had been arranged. So traditionally, yeah. word of mouth, emotional phone calls, piece together emails, newspaper announcements are slow, stressful, inefficient, can be really expensive. I mean, a newspaper announcement in the Times, for example... I don't want to give a wrong price here, but expensive. So we built the most efficient way to inform family and friends of funeral arrangements. Right. So um, this was like a funeral app or yeah, a kind of an obituary yeah, app. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so just as the times of someone would newspapers still advertise obituaries, it was the digital equivalent. It was a digital funeral right. notice. The beauty of it and what and we so sorry, just so just so I understand where you were coming at this from, what were you doing at the time that this was all happening? Were you already trying to do a different type of business? Were you a student? What were you I was a student. Um, so I was in my fourth year at Bristol. Yep. Um, studying French of all subjects. Hasn't that was actually with your you studied French. I studied French, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not been massively so, use, useful to my um, subsequent <laughs> career. Um, had you told me when I started my degree at Bristol, I'd be doing this, however many years on, sat in San Francisco, I'd have laughed at you, yeah. I think, but it, yeah. it's been fun. Um, right. Yeah, so the, so the angle was, the initial angle was I wanted to create a really good consumer product. And then in order for it to get adopted, it then needs to be useful to funeral homes. Yeah. Um, so our angle there was it was a value-added service for their families. It streamlined a lot of their internal administrative processes. So things like they used to receive a lot of phone calls asking about service right. arrangements. They used to count a lot of cash and checks for donations, and we put that online. And then the third piece, and which was probably the most impactful piece ultimately, was brand exposure. So these are businesses that don't really get much exposure beyond the immediate families that they're working yep. with. By building a product that was actually really useful to families, the pages got shared and it gave exposure to these right. businesses that really aren't that well known beyond their immediate communities. Yeah, yeah. And with that context, we were able to sell it at the beginning of 2016. So we sold it to the leading funeral provider in the UK. They're a publicly traded company to about 75,000. Which one are they? They're called Dignity. Oh, yeah. So 75,000 funerals a year, 800 locations across the UK. That was exciting. Um, so did you become a mega millionaire? Uh, no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, it gave me the opportunity to start Tulip. And by that, I mean, I didn't need to work for a, a long enough period of time. Yeah. That I had the freedom to. So you had a uh, bit of cash, but nothing that we can retire yeah, on. I can't so retire. No. I can't retire. Yeah. Um, and then Tulip was inspired by this whole experience. The initial product of Fuel Arrangements was the, yeah. was the name. was a great f initial foray into the. So industry. sorry, what was the name? It was called funeral arrangements. It funeral was, arrangements, it very was, catchy, was, <laughs> very very catchy. It was not. It was not my most most creative name. <laughs> and so that business was well, that effectively you, and about point eight of an engineer. Point eight. Yeah. Not okay. Got you. Yeah. So you sell that. You make a little bit of money. Yeah. But you're still in the UK. Still in the UK. And then, how did you end up out on these fur shores? 
So this is the first week of December or second week of December. I first came out to San Francisco in 20... 2016. Yep. And that was just to explore. Yep. You hear of it as this great city to come to, particularly if you're an entrepreneur or interested in yep. entrepreneurial things, and kind of fell in love with the place. And it's a weird place. I have a love, love-hate relationship with, yep. it, it, with it now. Because we can do a whole podcast on that. It's a whole separate, <laughs> whole separate uh, episode. Um, but liked it enough to want to come back. And yeah. actually, it was the beautiful blue skies on the 6th of December, 2016, that really sort of, compared to London, yep. um, drew me in. But I wanted to find a way to come out of San Francisco to, to start something. Um, if you're a cricketer, you want to play at Lords. If you're a rugby player, you want to play at Twickenham. If you're a boxer, you want to uh, Madison Square Gardens. Yeah. If you're an entrepreneur, San Francisco is where it happens. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of an adventure in itself. So I did have Tulip as an idea in the UK. Wanted to do it in the UK market. I don't think it would have worked in the UK. Consumer preference is different. The market wasn't there. Actually, the difference is you'd be making a market. You'd be changing yeah. consumer behavior rather than Riding a more of a trend, I think, right. um, and building a much better version of what is currently conceptually in existence. But I couldn't do it in the UK for whatever reason, so ended up out here. So yeah. So when did you move out here? I have been more or less full time out here since the beginning of eighteen. Um, Got you. And so tulip. What is tulip? Tulip. So I'm going to start from the beginning. Cause yeah. You, you you need you need the context of the problem to understand gotcha. the solution. Yeah. So we are solving what we would consider a pretty broken customer experience. So it's a complex process. 70% of people are doing this for the first time, so it's unfamiliar territory. Right. It's in a stuffy funeral home environment. Yep. I challenge you to find anyone who has a good association with a funeral home. It's really opaque in terms of pricing. There are very few funeral homes that advertise their pricing online. Really? Yeah, it's an actual thing. So the Fair Trade Commission in the US a few years ago had to create a concept of the general price list and this is getting technical in the funeral industry, yeah. the general price list. And that was in response to funeral homes more or less looking someone up and down and then charging them based on their perceived wealth. Really? Which is not great business practice. Well, so, uh, there are certain industries we're walking in, like, what is the price of this thing? Yes. And it's so frustrating when it's just, it's like the cable company. It's like, what am I actually buying here? It's, it's one of the only industries in which you get a multi-thousand dollar quote and won't get a second quote. Which is strange. You wouldn't, if it was a plumber, you, mm. you wouldn't do that. No. Um, if it was a kitchen fitter, if it's like any other service, you yeah. would shop around. But people, people don't. The other reason it's expensive, because they might have your loved one already in the. You're not going to be quite, like quite often. Um, yes. Well, I'm not going to send. You know. Yeah, I, I mean that's an act, across that, that, that's an actual thing. If they've already got your loved one in their care, you will pay for the services uh, rendered to date, which can be a few hundred dollars. So actually, it's cost disadvantageous to you to actually right. go elsewhere once that right. initial sort of generally it's like six on the order of six grand yes is that right so so it depends whether you want cremation or burial there's slightly different costs involved yeah. there i'd say average cremation in the u.s is probably about uh it, it depends what you want as well i mean yeah. average funeral cost probably about six grand i'm sure people have time. asked you about um the big lebowski the what the big lebowski what is it oh my god Okay, so after it's an this, American thing. Uh, no, after the podcast, we you have to um, find this film somewhere. There's a whole, there's a great scene in it about their friend dies, they cremate him, they're in the funeral home, and they're like, you know, okay, well, we have to tr- transmit your friend to you. Here's our list of prices for the receptacle, 
and it's like th- hundreds or thousands of dollars, and then it, they it, end up it with sounds a, about right. Yeah, and then they end up um, going to Ralph's and buying like a big um, thing of um, instant coffee, emptying it out. Is cremation a, th- a trend? Yes. Well, it's not a trend. I mean, a, a, a trend to me sounds more like a fad. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's here to stay. It's a, just over 50% in the US. Really? The yeah. And it, it depends state to state wow. as well. So something like California is probably closer to 75%. I think Washington's got the highest cremation rate in the US at about 80%. But it's only heading in one direction. So it's going to be about 80% mm. by 2035. Well, that's for a mixture of reasons. That's cost-driven. That is, people are increasingly transient, so people don't want to go and visit a burial spot for the next 20 yep. years because actually they don't live anywhere near it. We're decreasingly religious as a society, or religions are more accepting of it as a practice. And it's more envi- environmentally friendly. When you embalm a body for burial, you're seeping all sorts of ho- horrible chemicals into, into the ground. Right. So this all is these a- things you wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, hey? no, exactly. So you come out here and you're like, okay, I this is a this is a broken process. Yep. What do you do with tulip? Yeah, so you've got this bad customer experience. You've then got this lack of choice. You've got these large corporate brands who are relatively overpriced compared to everyone else in the industry. And then you've got a lot of mum and pop shops. Mum and pops can be great. They can also be very hit and miss quality wise. You never really yeah, know yeah. what you're going to get. Yeah. And this is an industry that's highly fragmented. So 86% of all funeral homes in the US are independently owned. Really? Um, oh, wow. There's one big player that's got 12% market share. Players two and three have 1% each. So highly fragmented. And there's never been a brand or a national brand or a go-to brand or a known brand centered around all the important things. Simplicity, affordability, great care. But above all, a brand to me is you know what you're going to get. Yeah. And I don't think that's any more relevant than death services when at probably the lowest moment in your life, you just know you want to be looked after. You're going to get something that is of a highest service level, is transparent, and you're going to be treated with respect. So that was what we set out to build. So Tulip, I I ramble, so this uh, is a long intro into it, but we provide a very simple cremation package. So there's no viewing beforehand and there's no... Yeah, so basically my loved one dies. Let me back up then. So we specialize in a product called direct cremation. So direct cremation is where there's no viewing ahead of time um, and there's no service arranged by the funeral home afterwards. Um, That's not to say you don't have a service. And actually one of the benefits of direct cremation is you do the sort of cremation component quickly, cost-effectively, conveniently. And then you arrange a much nicer memorial Mm -hmm. service in your own time. So it's without the time and cost pressure of a funeral home. And it's not in a funeral home setting. You can um, do it wherever so, you want. Yeah, it's a bit, it can be a beach, it can be a bar, yeah. it can be, it's your, your imagination's the, the limitation. Right. So we specialize in direct cremation. We have a very simplified package that includes everything that you need. And all the arrangements are made online or over the phone. So say I arrange it online. Yes. And then I say, yes, I want Tulip to handle my loved one. Yep. What happens? So going through our, our process then, and it's um, it's about a 40-step process. It's actually quite complicated. So I'm not going to, I don't high level, I'm not going to walk Whoa. you through all 40 steps. But you make the initial range, arrangements. You're sort of choosing what you want. Yep. Considerations at this stage are things like, what do you want to happen to the ashes? Do you want them scattered at sea? Do you want them um, returned to you? Do you want them buried? That sort of thing. You wouldn't um, scatter them your, as the company? We do, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. We, we, just we, like hands off, like just scatter them somewhere. We're offering <laughs> scattering as a service. And um, So say I want my, my loved one cremated and the, the remains returned to me. Yep. How do they get the loved one? Where are they cremated? 
How does it come back to me? So, so this is interesting in itself. So we were last year probably the biggest mailers of cremated remains in the U.S. So shipping through the U.S. Postal Service, which for all the bad rep it gets, is actually incredibly reliable. Incredibly reliable. Hold on. <laughs> so how does that work? So, I mean, is there, is there any restrictions around yes. like, this is a dead person, or we're just going to like go down to a local post office, open up one of those cardboard boxes so, and so, so our original office was in the fire die in San Francisco. Yeah. And we mailed our first few cases ourselves because we wanted to be in control of the process. Yeah. We talk about an unboxing experience. So it's, it's incredibly nicely packaged. It's in a blue velvet bag. It's got tulip branded tissue paper. It's got a very nice hardcore mailing box and we write a handwritten condolence card to every family that we work with but we mailed the first few cases ourselves and you should have seen the look on the lady's face when we walked in with sort of five sets of cremated remains clearly labeled (laughs) such um in the financial districts in san francisco i mean she's mailing important financial documents yeah um and we had uh, uh cremated remains she wasn't that impressed. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so we're a big man of uh, cremated remains in the U.S. And Does anybody else do that? The nature of our model was we've never met a single family in person. All the wow. arrangements. And we, we've, we've worked with over, over 10,000 families at this stage. And we've never met a single family in, in person. Right. Um, the, the ashes can be hand-delivered. Actually, it's not strictly true. And I say we haven't met families in person. We, we can meet them yes. if you choose hand-delivery. Most people will go with the U.S. Postal Service option, but we've never we've never met a family during the. Do you offer FedEx? No. Okay. So this is the in- interesting fact for you: you legally can't send cremated remains through the post in the U.K. because of insurance. If you lose them, they're they're not that replaceable. Mm, no. Um, <laughs> in the U.S., you can only send them by the U.S. Postal Service, and it's by Priority Mail Express. So it's very safely tracked. I understand. Signed right. at multiple occasions throughout the process. But so FedEx is FedEx, US, UPS. No, so nobody. in theory, you can send anything. Um, you just don't tell them what's in the box. But right, um, if you're doing it completely, if, strictly above yeah, board, the yeah, computer yeah, says no. Yeah. So we're, we're USPS only. Got you. Yeah. So you said 10,000 families have used this service. Yes. In whatever, two years. Yeah. That sounds quite good. I have no idea. So the average funeral home in the US will serve 113 families a year. Okay. To do 10,000, which we've done in, I think, about 22 months, Yeah, it would take the average funeral home 88 years to get to that scale. Got you. Then what happens with Tulip? So you're going great guns. Yeah. So we, we grew very quickly. We launched in six counties in, in Northern California. By month three of launch, we were doing more cremations in a month than the average funeral home does, does in a year. We quickly expanded to the rest of Northern California. We then went into uh, Southern California. And then in December last year, we, we start expanding with sort of even more figure. So we launched six states in six months right. um, from December to, to May this year, which may not sound that big a deal for a lot of industries, but actually for us, that, that's, that's hard. And actually, I can probably count on one hand the number of cremation or funeral companies who... Well, because it's also, it's, also it's, it's, it's obviously not software. It's like, you know, it's yes. on, on the ground, yes. logistics, yes. etc. Yes. yes, so it's a highly regulated industry. Right. It's licensed state to state on an individual and company level. It's then a 40-step process, as we say. Yeah. So it's moving, ultimately very delicate cargo from A to B to B to C with a very vulnerable customer who yeah. um, you can't screw around. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And as you say, it's not software. It's not an inherently scalable yeah, product. Yeah. It's reliant on people. It's reliant on processes. It's reliant on partnerships with on, uh, vendors uh, across the country. Ovens. Yes. Retorts. I'm sorry? Retorts. Retorts? It's called a, a cremation retort. I did not know that. No, but now you do. No, I do. <laughs> uh, well, that actually, so, sorry, just to finish with the process, and we'll go back to the company. So, Okay, I, it's a quick high-level process then. Yes, yes. You make the arrangements. Yep. You sign quite a lot of legal paperwork. Yeah. Once upon a time, that was all offline. I was going to say DocuSign it or whatever. Yeah, so, so DocuSign equivalent. Once upon a time, that was offline, and you have to have, you have, to have a majority of next of kin. So let's say you've got oh, wow. sister in San Francisco, you've got brother in New York, you've got multiple siblings yeah, yeah. across the US. You would have to have them all sign the, the, the same set of documents, which is a nightmare. Yeah. Um, so we digitized that process. Um, so arrangement, documents. We then are a licensed funeral establishment, so we register the, the death. So that's working with the county health department, the doctor, yep. um, and the family. Once we have that, you get a permit authorizing cremation. So the cremation then moves ahead after that. And then the ashes are returned. So multiple of, of ways to get them back. So yeah, arrangement, paperwork, death registration, cremation, return of ashes. How do you find a place to actually do the cremation? cremation? Yeah, so we, we've had some pretty good partnerships with, with local people across the US. We're now at a point where we're firstly integrating. So we now own infrastructure in Northern and, and Southern California. But initially, it was reliant on working with existing people. It was a sort of applying the classic startup marketplace model almost to be our fulfillment in an industry that hadn't used that model before. And was there any resistance to be like, hey, we're a startup cremation company. We need some place to do our business. Yes, yeah, so the resistance came from these vendors also being competitors. Um, yeah, so, well, that, yeah, exactly. That's what yeah, I'm asking. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I think the smart ones clocked onto, onto it quite quickly that we had an interesting concept and we were able to send pretty meaningful business to them. And the actual marginal cost per cremation is very low. And if you're running an efficient cremation operation, the more cremations yeah. you do, the more efficient your business comes. So actually it works because you've got an idle asset that you can now monetize and make your own business cheaper in the future. And the bottom line also was that if you don't work with us, someone's going to work with us. Yeah. Um, so you might as well take the business yourself. And so you were basically running this. Did you actually have a team or is this still just you? Or No. We launched with a pretty lean team. So we launched with uh, five people at the, at the beginning of last year. Yeah. Pretty stressful business to launch because it's a 24-7 business. I was going to say. And when you don't have a critical mass of person, it just means a few people working very hard. And again, you don't just don't screw this stuff up. Yeah. Um, we scaled the team. So we were at about 95 come April, May this year. 95 um, people. Yeah, and the reason for that is it's a service business. Yeah. You've got people registering deaths. You've got people helping families make the arrangements. You've got people delivering the ashes. You've got everyone at yeah. different parts of the process. And again, a large part of what our angle on the industry was, was making the labor cost more efficient or making the labor behind the scene to deliver the service more efficient. So I think Tulip was building on three angles, or we, we, we still build at three angles. Um, so it's a brand and a digital experience and a customer acquisition model. It's then the technology that underpins the service delivery. Mm -hmm. So optimizing for, for, for labor costs and labor efficiency. And then the third part is running the logistics in the, in the, most, efficient, in the most efficient manner. I mean, it's ultimately a logistics business to quite, quite yeah. a large degree. On that logistics point, so person X dies, you were hired. 
I mean, is it kind of a guy in a white van comes up and says, hey, wear tulip? Uh, yeah, it's not a white van. The most common vehicle in the U.S. is a Dodge Caravan, believe it or not. Really? I would think that that would be the most common yeah. vehicle. Dodge Caravan. That's Dodge Caravan. Adapted, of course. I mean, they're not sort of straps in the back or something. Yeah. <laughs> they, uh, no, they're, they're specially modified. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Dodge Caravan to U.S. Postal Service, etc. And you get up to 95 people. Yep. And so you're poised to take over the world. Yeah, we, I mean, we've grown incredibly, incredibly quickly. I mean, May this year, largest funeral home in California by number of families served each year. We were doing in four days what the average funeral home does in a year in terms mm-hmm. of number of families served. Thousands of five-star reviews, NPS score in the high 80s. NPS obviously being the likelihood to recommend to, to family right. friends. Anything over 70 is considered world-class. And we're also the second largest cremation brand in the US at the time. There is a big one out there who's quite a way ahead of other people. Yeah. But they're a different model. They're a physical presence model. They're in 40 states. Completely different costs and prices attached with attached with that model. Big cremation. And then, you know, sort of big tech, big cremation. Or big cremation, yeah. And so where are things now? It's been an interesting journey. Um, I mean, that's the beauty of uh, (laughs) entrepreneurship and startups is things change on a dime. We are doing very well in in May. We hired a professional CEO in in April this year. Fairly opportunistic, weren't necessarily looking for a CEO. So, yeah, why did you do that? Because you, I mean, you've gone from five people to 95. You've gone from zero to 10,000 cremations. I mean, that's a good reason itself. Zero to 95. Um, 95 is a whole different company and a whole different skill set in reality and in hindsight we didn't need a ceo we need an experienced operator but that could have been a coo that could have been a a, a president and so what did you become at least in title i mean my my title at the time was chief strategy officer Um, but the reason i did it was we had a board director yeah he'd been with us for about a year he had worked very closely with us He he was a really good advisor to the company and he wanted to start working more closely with us. This is a conversation we had at the end of last year. Yeah. So big personal decision for me. Because that's, um, I mean... D- it's it your baby. Yeah, it doesn't happen often that people are like, yeah, go ahead. You can take the reins of this thing that I've put, put all my so parts into. So it was into. opportunistic. Yeah. And I was very excited. So this was someone who'd raised $170 million. He'd, for a previous... For a previous venture, one right. company. More or less built a, a unicorn. 
someone who I'd known for a year and thought I knew well, yeah. and someone I could take, thought I could take the business to, to the next level. Yeah. I mean, after a while, the business is bigger than you as, as yeah. an individual. Again, we should have hired a CEO, COO or, or a president because it, it wasn't necessarily the best move for the company. What happened? He didn't do a massively good job. So, so that's, a, we, we, that's a beautiful bit of British understatement. Uh, um, I'm, I'm sensing, I'm sensing, knowing nothing. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm not that Americanized just yet. I'm not that brash just yet. Um, he didn't do a massively good job. So we parted ways after about a couple of months. We decided that the best, best path forward for the company was to uh, join partners with uh, an existing industry player. So we partnered with one of the big industry consolidators. They do about 40,000 services a year with families. Wow. Um, so a fairly bigger level up from, from where we were. One of the more forward-thinking companies in the industry. But importantly, they had access to infrastructure that we previously hadn't. Like um, so whereas we were working with third parties for, the, the, for our cremation needs and other yeah, yeah. logistical needs, they have it in-house or they're prepared to buy it. And VCs don't necessarily want to by infrastructure. Yeah. Um, but this model truly never completely works financially until you, until you own the infrastructure. So on a per right. basis, our costs went down considerably. Yeah, so, um, so those on those 10,000 uh, that you were doing, yeah. were you making money? I mean, I know there's a lot of costs associated with growing a company and customer acquisition and all that stuff. Yep. But was that, could you see a path to profitability doing yes. what you were doing? yes. The, the economics behind it aren't, aren't rocket science. Yeah, yeah. And actually vertically integrating with the model we were using was very feasible as well. We obviously weren't profitable at the time. You're growing a business quickly. But there was a path to getting it to profitability. And I mean, that, that's the path we're, we're on now. Right. Um, our partner is, well, the ultimate owner of Tulip now is, is private equity backed. Um, completely different mindset to, to VC. VC is obviously pretty growth driven. Yeah. Um, sometimes growth. So, did you have venture capital backing? Yes. We'd raised just under sort of 10 mil across gotcha. uh, a few funding uh, rounds. Right. Yeah. VC is obviously very growth driven. Private equity is much more sustainable growth. It's very EBITDA driven. You're buying and selling multiples of EBITDA. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a, there's a much greater focus on profitability now. How does it feel to not have this just be your own thing anymore? There are advantages and disadvantages. We ultimately build a better, more sustainable business with this with this setup. But then you lose the control that yeah. you had previously. And I feel like entrepreneurs do their own thing because they quite like that freedom. Yeah, yeah. So if we go back to April, yep. before you hire yep. the CEO, could you have foreseen that now we are in December, eight months later, that Tulip is no longer an independent company. It's part of a, a bigger behemoth. Yep. And you're no longer running the show. I could foresee me not running the show because the plan was to hire this right. CEO. To be part of a different organization was not necessarily the plan. It's not necessarily bad for the company's long-term sustainability yeah. and, and trajectory. But no, had you, had you told me six yeah. months ago, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have yeah. expected it. I'm asking this as someone who's never started their own company. But it sounds like you've kind of been, going back to the time in the UK, climbing up this mountain for a long time. Yep. How does it feel now? Is it kind of like, oh, well, now what? Yeah, I mean, it's an incredibly fun process building a business, I think. It's problem solving every single day. So it's hugely stimulating in yeah. that regard. And it's also very 
rewarding very quickly, particularly in the early days when there's not much there. So even like a small tweak results in pretty yeah. big uplift quite quickly. As in you're not optimizing a business at scale. You're not trying to eke out small percentages. Yeah. Um, everything you do is, is, is meaningful. And the other part of going through this journey, I think, is you learn so much. And actually, ultimately, Tulip was an application of a direct-to-consumer service model in the funeral industry. But that as a model is so relevant to so many other industries. So So the idea being that, I mean, it's funerals, for example, like you said, it's 85% mom and pop shops and nobody knows what the price is and it's all old fashioned and it's all just kind of a crappy experience. So there are other industries that you can apply this model to effectively. I mean, any, you you look at Yelp, for example. I think Yelp's days are numbered. But but what I mean by Yelp is Yelp is a directory of local services, fragmented industries. Yep. And localized in-person purchasing experiences. There's perhaps regulation involved. There's perhaps infrastructure involved. So actually, when you look at it, when you take out the industry side of things and just compare the sort of industry traits, there are a lot of analogous industries per se. And that's when the acquisition model, the digital experience, the brand building, the labor optimization, the vertical integration pieces, et cetera, actually pretty relevant to a, a lot well, of Well, I was going to say, so is part of that model like the kind of a gigification of some of these steps in the process? Was that part of, is that part of what Tulip was doing? I don't think we were ever gigifying it. My interpretation of that is sort of tapping into a, a, a gig workforce. Yeah. We wanted to have more control in the process. I right. mean, this is such an important process that you, yeah. you have to be in control. You can't be like a delivery driver who's like, yeah. oh, well, I've got yeah. my chicken tandoori yeah. and yeah. Mrs. Jones. Yeah. yeah. It's also just a different scale of business. There are 2.7 million deaths a year in the US. DoorDash, for example, Uber couldn't build a business off 2.7 million no. transactions. There's not the critical mass of demand to be able to build a truly sort of yeah. efficient labor marketplace for a, for a gig economy worker. The other question that jumps to mind for me is how do you get the word out? Yes. Is it all just down to Google keywords? So a, a lot of it is bidding more efficiently than uh, our competitors. What do you mean? So we are competing against small mom and pop funeral homes who perhaps don't have much budget for online advertising, don't have the knowledge to do it well, don't have good online presences. I mean, a lot of... Uh, a lot of funeral websites look like look like sort of 1990s dentist websites almost. Yep. They're they're pretty yeah. pretty old school. Um, so our digital presence is obviously industry leading, I'd say. And then it's partnership and 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 brand recognition. After a while, there are some pretty big influences in in the industry. Um, so you look at the ecosystem, and you've got hospice nurses, you've got coroner's officers, you've got social services, you've got all these influences within the industry so you can build relationships with them proactively yes um, but actually the best way to win favor with them is just providing a great service to the families that they're mm-hmm. jointly looking after so you partner with these guys through providing a good service was there ever a moment when you were trying to build this business where you like i don't know <laughs> where you're like i don't in a coroner's office talking about like you know like some where a moment where you're like this is just I never thought I would be here. This is a just There have moment. been some pretty pretty surreal moments. Um, it's been great. I mean, you travel to all sorts of 
parts of the US. I mean, um, you get to go to Los Angeles, you get to go to Palm Springs, you get to go to um, Seattle, but they're always the least glamorous parts of all these cities. Yeah. Um, so on a high level, it sounds like quite glamorous business yeah. travel, but actually it's, it's sort of industrial estate in the sort of very not glamorous parts yeah. of Los Angeles. But yeah, it's, it's, it's the people in the industry are some of the most interesting people you meet. You've got some real characters in there. Is there, but is there any one of those kind of vignettes that kind of sticks with you? Not that I should probably talk about. <laughs> the, um, you see some interesting stuff. Let's put it that way. When you're when you're uh, visiting active funeral homes, yeah, I'm, I'm just smiling <laughs> at you here. I'm just smiling at you here. I've seen some interesting stuff. Oh, that's just that's there's just like there's so much meat on that bone. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're not having any of the meat. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> what was your worst day? of work <laughs> this might be one not <laughs> um, we've had some pretty interesting days which again are not fit for podcast consumption right I've had some awful days I mean particularly when you get to a team of a certain size and that sort of thing I mean you've got responsibility for it's, it's an industry an in, in interesting industry in this regard and that you've got two people that you're really looking after you've got like a reasonable number of uh, people working with you yeah. Um, and then you've got families and families going through one of the worst times of their life. I mean, uh, most of the people we work with have lost spouses who they've been married to for sort yeah. of 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. Or you've got children who've just lost parents. Mm. So there's a lot of responsibility and you have to really care about the family experience, I, I think. Otherwise, you're not going to build a good product. And if you care about the family experience when something doesn't go as well in the process. You've got a family that's not happy about yeah. something. You take it personally because you, you're proud of what you're building. So what are you going to do now? Do you state this? What's the, what's the company that bought you? A company called Foundation Partners. They're based in Orlando in Florida. They operate about 100 funeral homes across okay. the US. They are pretty innovative relative to the industry. They believe in the tulip vision, um, which important and in terms of just like the the peaks and valleys yep are there any kind of things that you were like oh, i would have done that differently yes so many i mean building building a company particularly in an industry that hasn't really had much disruption before um, you're doing everything for the first time so it's a massive process of trial and error i mean it's genuinely throwing spaghetti at the wall and and and, and seeing what sticks one of the great expressions I've, I've been told is you can't make the same mistakes again, make new ones. There, there are so many mistakes we've made that we haven't made again. It's a massive learning experience. I mean, um, even hiring, you don't appreciate the importance of hiring great people until you, you, until you get it wrong. Yeah. You don't appreciate the importance of the old adage of hire slowly and fire quickly and, 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 until you get it wrong. It's been interesting being a, a Brit in San Francisco or, or, or the US, I think, um, not to generalize, I think Americans sell themselves very well. A Brit yes. might say, I can probably do that and then smash it. Uh, yeah. American will tell you they'll, they'll smash it and then they haven't got the faintest idea what they're, what they're, <laughs> what they're actually doing. Um, it's true, there's a lot of fake it and makers out here. So uh, yeah, hiring, yeah. building engineering teams, hiring professional CEOs, growing too quickly, focus on profitability, that sort of thing. I mean, there, there, that's a poorly articulated list, but there are so many things that yeah. when I go through this process again, I will definitely not be doing again. Because it does feel like, especially if you're doing something 
an untouched, previously untouched industry. Yep. There's so many things that you could focus on because I imagine every day you're like, oh, we could do that better. Yes, I mean, that's a great point in itself is just keeping laser focused on, on the core business. And once you have a core business, you've then got a really interesting platform to do with these other things. There are always so many things you want to do and only so many hours in a day or only so many engineers to actually build things. That ends up being your biggest limiter out here, I think, is just an engineering resource almost. Oh, the last question is, so you're, the product itself or the experience relies heavily on engineering. You are not an engineer. You studied French. Yes. Do you have any advice for kind of non-technical people trying to do something in this world? Because I know that, like, it's a very engineering-led culture, especially around here. Yep. And there's, uh, I would venture to say, some snob is some snobbishness. Yeah. Around like you know, if you're not technical, yeah, you know, you're not as good, or you know, they kind of look down upon you, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think the only advice I would have would be to get a really strong technical co-founder, someone who's really bought into the success of the of the company. You can hire engineers, you can hire good engineering leaders. But no one ever buys into a business or is as passionate about a business as as a founder or a co-founder. And when a business relies so heavily on engineering productivity and quality of engineering work, having someone leading that team who cares about the product and business as deeply as you do goes a long way. Yeah. It does feel like, just listening to your story just now, it was all kind of going on one path until May or until April when you brought in a new, basically a professional CEO to kind of run yep. the business and take it to the promised land. Yep. Why didn't that work out? Or do you have any advice to people who are thinking about doing that? Yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been a question I've thought a lot about myself. And actually, as you talk to other founders, it's one of the questions that you do get asked about a reasonable amount. It's an interesting one having got it potentially wrong. If someone to ask me now, I think the, the, the first challenge I would have for someone is, why do you want a professional CEO? I'd, I'd, challenge, I'd even just challenge the, the need for one. I think it's very hard going from a founding CEO to yeah. still an important part of the company, but not having that ultimate say on things. I think if you hire a professional CTO, you, you sort of expect to, to not stay. That wasn't my intention. I, I yeah. always wanted to stay. And the other thing I would say to founders is the founder role is not necessarily defined. You don't need to be the sort of Dara Uber CEO. You build the CEO yeah. role around your skill set. And that is one of the most fortunate things about being a founder is that actually you, you have the most time to learn of anyone. And you just have to hire well to complement the skill set that you perhaps yeah. lack. So for us, we wanted an experienced operator, but we didn't necessarily need... Uh, a fundraiser. And then if you do decide that you want to go down the, the CEO route, I think there's some interesting considerations that we perhaps didn't consider because we knew the person in advance. And what I do think, you mean? So I think had we run a, an actual process, had yeah. we said, we want a professional CEO, let's, let's run a search. Yeah. And we're going to analyze sort of uh, 100, 100 professional CEOs uh, in San Francisco. We wouldn't have ended up with the person we, we, we did end up. So I think the considerations end up being, and some of these sound quite obvious in hindsight, but again, if you know the person already, you, yeah, yeah. you, you don't run as thorough a process. Um, so are they the right cultural fit? Because once you've got a company of 95 people or so, and they come in and it's a completely different yeah. style to how they do things, it, it's, it's, a, it's a 
pretty big bus to turn almost. Mm -hmm. um, you've then got, are they the right stage of company? So let's say you've got someone who's previously been at a much later stage company. They might have done really well there, but that doesn't mean they're effective at an early stage company. They might need to hire an expensive executive team to actually do work rather mm. than being hands-on and a problem solver themselves. The second really big one for me is having skin in the game. And what yeah. I mean by that is you have to have something to lose. Not just gain, you have to have something to lose. If you don't have something to lose, it's really easy to walk away from something. Yeah. You don't fight for something in the same way as if you were to have sort of money or a huge amount yeah. of time um, invested in a game. And then think the third one would be, are they willing to prove themselves? So perhaps they come in initially as COO or president right. and they show that they're passionate about the business. They show that they're willing to put the work in. Um, and actually that ultimately de-risks what is probably the biggest high you'll ever make in a company's yeah. journey. And I think the other one is, do they still have the hunger for it? If you've had good success in the past, you're still going to be as hungry the, the next time. Yeah. You're not proving yourself as much. You might be more financially secure. The lure of big payout, perhaps not yeah. as enticing as it, as it perhaps once, once was. And then I think the fourth point was, or is, references. And again, that sounds really stupid, but you can overlook references if you feel you, if you, feel you know someone. Yeah. Um, and I think the other part of this is good reference questions. Don't look for sort of positive reinforcement. It's things, uh, the, the questions for me are things like, how does so-and-so act when things get tough? Because the chances are you've only ever known them in prosperous yeah. times. Yeah. Um, and you can be great in prosperous times, yeah, yeah. but you might be a it's not improbable that you're a complete different person in yeah it's like becoming a, becoming um sharing a flat with a friend yeah it's like um, this person's great we're moving in yep. together and then three months later, like i hate this person yep get me out of here yep and then i think the final one is things like previous successes were they because of that person or were they in spite of that person right and what i mean by that is if you've got a rocket ship you might just be the sort of adult supervision who's just steering it in the right direction and reporting yeah. back to investors. You're not necessarily the person figuring out the next stage of growth. You're just sort of riding the rocket ship. There's so much extra context that I would go through again. Why did you do it? Excited. It is, as you say, it's quite rare. It's like a Travis Kalanick in year two of Uber being like, yeah. yep, I need somebody to really kind of come in here and act like an adult here and kind of make sure that everything's... Yeah, um, I mean, as a young founder, it's exciting ha sort of giving your baby almost to someone who, I wouldn't have done it if I didn't think they'd take it to the next level. Yeah. On paper, it wasn't an in insane move. Yeah, yeah. Life doesn't work yeah, like sometimes. paper might suggest. Yeah. <laughs> That's a horrible expression. <laughs> um, the other one was um, when you went out to raise money. Yep. What was the reception from... I don't know if it was Sand Hill Road or wh whoever ended up, you know, where you went, yep. um, to reception to this idea, yeah, I'm going to create an, kind of an app-based cremation service. I don't know if that's like... Seed round. Yeah. Really difficult. Because we raised pre-product, pre-launch, more or less pre-team. So you're sort of walking around with a PowerPoint and pitching people on something they don't necessarily understand. Do you remember how many pitches you made? I never counted, but it was, it was, a, it was a slow process. I didn't know anyone in the U.S., I probably cold emailed just about every Brit who lived in San Francisco at, at, at one point. And then raising money in the UK is difficult as well because yeah. it's not a UK company. So 
you can't qualify for yeah. SEIS and EIS and the sort of uh, tax relief scheme, tax relief schemes, that sort of thing. Subsequent round was easier because your numbers start speaking more. You've got yeah. a sort of a, a proven concept. Um, but fundamentally, it is a hard business to, to raise for. There have been no really successful VC backed or actually startups or yeah startups in this space at all. And you have to get people excited by it. And actually, that's not that easy necessarily. No. It's not necessarily something a, a, a VC or partner at a VC fund wants to wants to buy every day. And that's what you need. You need investors who really buy into yeah. the big picture vision. And was there one person who's kind of unlocked it for you in terms of like you know? Because there's always there's you know there's rainmakers here who's like well I'm yeah. So this. so in a, in our seed round, I'm not I'm not going to na- name the name, but um, in our seed round, there was um, someone who's phenomenally good to me in terms of not necessarily big check size, but practical advice, how to navigate fundraising in an unfamiliar environment and introducing me to people who would write bigger checks. You rely on people's generosity, particularly when you know no one when you (laughs) move to a a foreign land. I've taken up a lot of your time, so we can leave it there, but I wish you luck on whatever kind of twist and turn comes next. Thank you very much. Good to see you. And that is all the time we have. And did I not tell you? Did you know that you could send ashes only by the U.S. Postal Service? Express mail, obviously. I did not. Anyhow, I hope you uh, enjoyed that one. And of course, I'll be writing this week in the newspaper at thetimes.co.uk. You can find me on Twitter at Danny Fortson. You can email me danny.fortson at Sunday hyphentimes.co.uk and that's it so keep an eye out for the other episode that is about to or has dropped already and we'll talk to you soon bye bye voiceover describes what's happening on your iphone screen voiceover on settings so you can navigate it just by listening books contacts calendar double tap to open breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.